0: The Diesel Performance Podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Diesel Performance Podcast. I am Nick Pregnitz, and with me today I have... Bob Peterson. All right, Bob. We're going to get after it today. Um, We're going to hopefully clean up some of the murkiness surrounding some recent episodes that Paul and Danny released uh, regarding what I like to refer to as no man's land. And that is the area between 550 rear wheel horsepower and 800 rear wheel horsepower on a stock long block Duramax. Now, for those of you who listened to the Larry LePan episode and the Guy Trip episode on engine building, you'll recall that uh, Paul seems to think that 750 horsepower is no big deal on an LBZ. And Danny seems to think that 650 horsepower on an LBZ is no big deal. And if you go over that, that that's a really bad idea. He wouldn't coach a customer. Um... Guys, of course, have come to me and and asked what I think, and uh as usual, my response is it depends,
1: yeah, I mean, everybody does because if you don't build the motor and you're trying to make eight hundred horsepower, you don't want to build the motor right, so it's kind of a yeah it's it's that no man's land, like you said uh You know, If you have the money, you build the motor and you build a 1,000-horse truck. If you're trying to do a budget build, you probably don't have the 10, 20, 30 grand laying around to build the motor. Yeah, and
0: that's probably reflective of some of the other choices you've made around your truck. So usually in that situation, we're also dealing with guys who uh, maybe didn't spend big money on injectors, didn't spend big money on turbocharging. So you're dealing with a budget-minded customer. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes that leads to some not so wise decision-making, right? Um, so as we jump into this episode, I want to frame it up. First, let's talk about what kills engines. And before we jump into that, I'm just going to let the users know or listeners know why I think we're qualified to talk about that, right? So between us, we've dynoed hundreds, probably thousands of trucks, um, seen plenty of trucks in this horsepower range, right? Um, high horsepower LBZs, LMLs, LB7s. Uh, guys who have pushed at 700, 750. I think we even did an 811 horse stock long block truck not too long ago.
1: Yeah, I think we had back in the day, I think Ryan Diedolf's truck ran for a couple of years at 800 horse and LMM. Um, yeah, Yeah. sled pulling and stuff. And
0: So we've seen them. We've seen them break. Um, I'm, I'm all too familiar with this question. Yeah. So as we jump into it here, <clears throat> the elements that kill an engine, what's the biggest one? Heat. Heat and abuse. Yeah, heat does it. Um, and, and so when we talk about heat, we're talking about a few different things. We're talking about engine coolant temperature. So overheating an engine will definitely kill it. Most guys don't run into that. Uh, the main element is really EGT. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so managing EGT is probably the biggest thing that we work around on the tuning side. And the, I mean, let's be real, it's, the, it's what kills the engines. As you, as you climb in EGT, you climb in piston crown heat, and that is the temperature of the top of the piston. And, uh, you know, as we see these engines when they fail, um, the piston crowns are eroded or they have holes in the pistons, right? Yep. And that's nine times out of 10, you have an LBZ engine failure, what do you see? Yeah, the crack or the hole or both. Yeah, um, so how do we keep pistons cool? keeping your GTs down <laughs> that's uh depending on
1: your application of the motor you know you're always monitoring EGTs and uh we have a tuning strategy for that but you know as the customer needs to watch that you know whether you're towing or sled pulling or drag racing you know you you want to be mindful of that and and keep up on, yeah, on watching that so as you that.
0: talk about those few applications um it's it's interesting because you don't mention watch your EGTs period you mentioned watch your EGT specific to what you're doing correct so you're bringing in an element of time. Correct. So if you're drag racing, really, what are you watching?
1: I mean, you, you, a drag race is 10 seconds or 12 seconds or 13 seconds or, you know, however fast the truck is. So it's not a sustained EGT. Right. So you can have a higher ceiling of that number. So, and sure. mean, you have a little bit... You know everybody hears probably on the forums or on whatever year 12 1300 degrees is not safe you know and that's true for a, a fact of sustained heat while towing you heat soak that piston like you said you heat soak the rings everything stays hot and and absorbs all that heat um you know if you see 15 1600 degrees in the sled pull or drag strip that is you know 10 to 15 seconds it doesn't take in all that heat it's in it's out it does you know potentially hurt things but it's not as as bad as towing a hill and a big grade it for a minute or two or three right you know it right at 1500 absolutely
0: the difference on the drag strip is that the coolant and the oil is able to absorb that heat as you go down the track and immediately at the end of the track but if you're towing a grade your oil's hot your coolant's hot the whole truck is hot that heat really has nowhere else to go and that's that's where we run a lower ceiling of peak, peak heat um so the time element is huge so the the heat failures that we see i mean it really what you lose is um the piston crown like we talked about so eroding the physically melting the piston um, and then losing just the integrity of the piston. The other thing is you can, lo- you can lose the fit in the of the piston in the cylinder wall. So you overheat the piston, you lose the clearance between the piston and the cylinder wall, and then you start to scuff the cylinder wall. You start to burn oil. You lose the seal of the engine, um, or the rings, yeah. or the ring seal, and then you get really excessive heat in the piston. Once you do that, um, and it's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next next element.
1: Um, pressures. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, cylinder
0: pressures. Yeah. Um, cylinder pressure is, that's huge. Yeah. Um, controlling cylinder pressure, understanding what elements impact cylinder pressure. Um, so if we have too high cylinder pressure, what's the failure mode? Um, you're going to bend rods and,
1: you know, potentially hurt a piston as well too. Um, you know, bonehead gaskets, everything. If you get that cylinder pressure up, it, you know, wherever the weakest point is, is going to fall.
0: Um, fall yes. victim to that. I like that you tossed the pistons in there too. Um, but yeah, let's let's start with rods. So stock connecting rods, the um, LB7 and LOYs are particularly prone to bending connecting rods, which you, you'll just see them buckle. Yeah. Um, and you'll lose compression. And typically it's a slow, it's a slow death.
1: Yep. Oh, yeah. You have so many people like, ah, no, fuck that. I've run my LB7 at 750 horse. All these pussies out there, you know. Yeah. 650 horse. Well, yeah. Then in a year or two, you know, they start getting the smoke and they start getting the heat. And I love all when winter comes
0: around for those yeah, guys.
1: Then Oh, man. Well, yeah. But it lasted for two years. Like, no, it just got worse over two years, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they get cold. They get shitty cold starts. They yeah. get a lot of white smoke. They get the 1400 RPM. Yeah. imbalance right um yeah so that's that's an ongoing thing uh if you want to tell that you have shortened rods best test i would say would be a, a compression c- test compression test yeah. exactly um, and if you see you know compression lower than 300 odds are you got some yeah. buckled rods um blown head gaskets uh we definitely see that especially in the earlier trucks i would say ld7s Ys. Yeah. Um, when you're dealing with trucks without head studs certainly more prone to that um, there was just a run of bad luck too like some of those earlier trucks especially had bad head gaskets to start
1: yeah the old ones were a big deal back <laughs> yeah. in the day I, I don't think if you find an old one that that has the problem that hasn't been fixed it's probably pretty rare now but uh, yeah the will always then come about with the with a few issues so i yeah. mean that the head bolts and the setup on the lbz lmm LMLS. is
0: yeah, they're pretty improved. strong. It's pretty rare to see a head yeah. gasket failure on an LBZ uh, before a piston failure. Um, and then you mentioned pistons. And typically when guys think about this, they don't think of piston failures. But as you, as you think of the system in a dynamic way and you think of the pressure in that combustion chamber and what that pressure will do to the, to the barrier layer on the piston crown, it'll, it'll just strip that air away yeah, uh, the barrier boundary area and the piston crown, and that'll allow the high heat of combustion to affect the aluminum directly.
1: Absolutely, and like I said, that that's the weakest point too. If you take that LBZ um, motor that that has a weak piston to begin with, and you add some heat, and then you do, you know, multiply that by cylinder pressure, that's gonna that's gonna attribute to the piston failure for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I got uh, one more that I th- that I threw up on the board just for. Those guys who want to run 5,000 RPM on a stock long block, yeah. right? Or even 4,000. Or even 4,000. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that 4,200 is kind of the point where I'm like, this yeah. is really not a good idea for you. Um, high RPM. So RPM-related uh, RPM failures would be bending push rods, uh, dropping valves, you know, especially if you haven't changed the valve springs and you're running a high boost setup. Yeah. It's just...
1: Yeah. I mean, the heat comes into play at that RPM, too. Exactly. You know, if you're running up that high, the the motor and the the turbocharger usually isn't very efficient, and heat climbs and climbs and climbs exponentially with
0: RPM. Exactly. Exactly. If you're running the engine outside of its designed operating window, then expect high EGTs. Expect uh, poor cooling. (laughs) Just expect broken parts. Um, And then... You know, to make a bad situation worse, you put ma- you put poor maintenance on this, mm-hmm. right? So we're getting into LB7s, which are as much as 15 years old now. Um, things have 200, 300, 400,000 miles on them. They got boost leaks. They got bad oil quality. They haven't been taken care of. And then they get bought by the eager 20-year-old. And what happens? What's the first thing he does? Yeah. Tunes, tunes, it, it and, tunes it, yeah. Up, right.
1: blows the trans up, builds the trans. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something that you probably should have said that to begin with too. Is it was when you're looking at building a budget build, try and find something with some history. Try and find a, a one or two owner truck. Maybe try and find something that doesn't have a beat up bed and a fifth wheel that you know has been, you know. Right, worked or, or worked as a you know landscaper or something, and and a, yeah, you know the guy
0: driving it around wasn't in charge of maintenance. He drove it into the ground or whatever. So exactly, exactly, total system health. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to find the nicest truck you can possibly find if you want it to last in this situation. Absolutely, do your homework and see if you if you know even if you get
1: on the the carfax and it only has a year or two and it shows constant maintenance you know the the person that had that whether they had it done at the dealer or not they were mindful of maintenance and they probably kept it a, a good a you know good schedule on the, the fluids and everything
0: yeah yeah and if you have the opportunity do an oil analysis on it or do a compression test or a boost test uh, bring it you know if you can bring it here great you know we love checking stuff over like that um, yeah, so we got some
1: good YouTube videos on that stuff too, on the boost leak yeah, and the maintenance sure.
0: Monday stuff. If if you look into that, there's some there's some good stuff yeah. on there too. Search Duramax tuner and any of the words you've heard in this podcast, and you'll probably <laughs> find a video on it. Um, so, what can we control? All right? What do we? I mean, we, we talked about all the stuff that kills the engine. How do we minimize the risk? How do we minimize liability? Keep that thing alive as long as possible. Let's start with the turbocharger.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's what. Well, what we can control and what you can control is is the two different things. So I, I, what you can control is specing your build out, mindful to a, a budget build and mindful to a stock motor, keeping it healthy, you know. Yep. So, you know, the turbocharger is is first, like Nick said. So, uh, you know, keeping a plenty of air and, and keeping that into the motor efficiently is going to keep things cool. So that's obviously going to take your GTs down. It's going to control, you know. Stress that we talked about with the heat.
0: So. Absolutely. If you're building an engine for 750 horsepower, or building a, a build, you're not building the engine because this is a stock engine build. Um, but if you're building a 750 horse truck, buy a turbocharger that's going to keep that 750 horsepower as cool as possible. Right. I mean, EGTs are one of the main things to cooling the pistons off. One of the main things to keeping the truck alive. If you can maintain EGT control. You can do you know doing that yeah. through the turbocharger is the best bet
1: so ha- almost having more than enough so you're you're definitely balancing you know below that ceiling of, of maxing it out like we talked about that's going to keep it cool yep. and efficient
0: and and keep you safer i'm with you 100 percent. Overbuy on the turbocharger if you're Absolutely. not going to spend the money on the engine Overbuy on the turbocharger For or the twin kit yeah the twin kit perfect
1: example in my opinion if you're going to do it is is something you know stocker twin kit with a s475 or an 80 it's gonna spool up really quick it's gonna run cool it's gonna have extra air there and it's uh you know it has a little room to grow into it too if you you do build the motor you're yeah. not buying another another turbo if you do just a, a single that's gonna max out at 700 and you're really pushing it harder right like when you go to
0: build that engine you're gonna end up selling that turbocharger to exactly fuel a thousand or whatever okay injectors um we get in a lot of a lot of debates even in-house over what injector is best for what build um I'll let you start it.
1: I guess where I would start is pick a reputable company that does good testing and has good quality control on the injector because if you try and put tips on on an injector that you already have that has 200,000 on it or something, um, you have no control over how much, which cylinder is getting how much fuel because you don't know if those injectors are balanced, you don't know what tip is flowing what, and that is everything we just talked about, heat and cylinder pressure. If you yes. have one cylinder flowing 40% and 1%. Sixty percent, you know, an injector size because you just threw tips on a set of injectors. That's so. perfect.
0: That's perfect, man. I'm I'm so glad you touched on quality first because that's your gauges are never going to tell you that. Right? your EGT might say fourteen hundred, but you might have one shitty injector in cylinder five, and that might be sixteen eighty, and you're just never going to know it because it's going to get yep. pushed in with the rest of the manifold gases, and it's going to come down and just going to look like, oh, 1,400, that's safe. Yeah. Well, that cylinder's really hot. So, yes, quality injectors, quality injectors. Let's move on to sizing.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, sizing, again, I, I'm kind of a firm believer in the same thing of the turbo is go a little bigger than necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that very hesitantly because... <laughs> I don't mean 200%. It's like you got these guys that come in like, well, I don't want to buy injectors again because I'm going to build the motor in five years. You know, like it, yeah, that yeah. is very hard to control a, a big, big injector to down to 700 horse. You know, and I really like 60s. Uh, 60s, in my opinion, is they're very easy to control drivability and smoke output and spool up. Um, yeah, like I, would, you do I have, would
0: agree with you 100%. 60%, I mean, 60s are great driving injector for that 750 horsepower build 100 um, percent i would say would be the ceiling yep. on what we'd recommend there yep. and the bigger injector just allows us to run a shorter pulse width, allows us to run less timing allows us to lower peak cylinder pressure and really control your peak cylinder pressure so it gives us a much yep. better control over that fuel injection event and that boils down to an engine that lasts longer absolutely
1: you're gonna have a little lower heat too with the the less pulse with and and the controlled timing on the, on the top end of that max effort tune too as well yeah, so
0: yeah and you'll probably have you'll probably have higher power um really the only thing that you're going to sacrifice is uh, ability to control the air fuel ratio so smoke output and um you know if you're dealing with a reputable tuner or tuners yeah <laughs> um, that that shouldn't be an issue at the 60 to 100 percent level no, not at all um injection pump uh not as critical but there's some elements there that I'd like to discuss yeah Um, so having enough pump to feed the injector to feed the fuel limit I think is really important if you start running the injectors low on pressure pulse width has to come up to make the to make the same volume as pulse width comes up you run into the same problems that we had with stock injectors really long on times really high EGTs it's a downhill trend Anytime you hear those things together, it means your pistons are in jeopardy. So avoid that. Um, So let's talk about single pump versus dual pump real quick on a build like this. So a 750-horsepower build. Um, Do you have any? I I always like dual
1: fuelers. Again... (laughs) back to the turbo and injectors more is better to be able to dial it back be able to run those pressures up as high as you can and keep things clean and keep them efficient um, and not have to worry about starving the injectors or or having to compensate for a softer pump Um, you know that It's kind of each to your own. I mean, you can get some pretty cool wheels out there. It looks nice. I mean, some guys, if you're looking for the sleeper look or the stock class sled pulling, you know, you definitely want to gear yourself towards a single pump. I mean, there's definitely, you know, a lot of good single pumps out there now that back in the day, it was kind of hard to find a good quality pump that was consistent. Yeah, when we started doing this, you couldn't
0: put a single pump in a truck and make 750.
1: Yeah, you were beating everybody up trying to find a wicked pump, and they weren't making them, and it was... Right, it was tough, but now there's uh, there's some really good single pumps out there, and they will hold. You know, they'll hold 800 horse. So again, that that's plenty. We're not yeah. starving them, but uh, be careful that the small modded pumps, I guess, you know, or the 42% yeah, or 30% or, <laughs> yeah. you know, the modded pump or, uh, you know, even like the, you know, you get a lot of guys that, that buy the XRG Sportsman, which is a great pump for 600 horse, but it's uh it's not a 700 or a 750 horse pump. So exactly. be aware of it and talk to who you're buying it from. If you can go straight to the manufacturer, if, if you're not sure, or, you know, talk to somebody reputable that, mm. that does tune them or dyno them and knows what pump, what makes
0: yeah yeah i mean a extra great example we use XRG's 10 millimeter pump quite a bit on builds like this um, the 12 or the 12 millimeter pump depending on how far the customer wants to go i'm personally a fan of the stealth look um, so i prefer to have a single pump in there but it it can go either way just make sure that you have the capacity there to feed the injection system which brings us to our most fun uh, topic uh, the area we have the most control which is tuning so in my opinion, of course, in my opinion, uh, tuning makes or breaks this thing.
1: Absolutely. I, mean, I, don't think that, I don't think it's opinion. I think that's pretty fact right there. Yeah, I we've mean, seen that
0: how many times, right? Yeah. Trucks yeah. come in here, and they got 35 degrees of timing. They got pulse width, 3,000 microseconds, things smoking like crazy, rattles. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know it's on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. It, it is in no man's land, walking <laughs> yeah. six feet tall, ready for the machine guns. Yes um so let's just let's jump into the elements of tuning so we have control over timing what can we do with timing yeah i mean that's
1: obviously having the dyno in house for years now like you said having probably thousand trucks under our belt is seeing where timing makes power and where it doesn't where it controls heat and where it doesn't balancing that so if you don't have to go higher than necessary you're going to save that the whole the bottom end of them. Yeah. Rotating assembly and everything because that, that stress on that is high timing and uh, obviously cylinder pressure, like we talked. So, keeping that timing down where it needs to be. So, having enough to control EGTs but not having more than, than necessary to control EGTs and have peak power is uh, something that's learned.
0: With yeah, yeah. A I mean, lot of you've time. learned it through experience, right? We put yeah. the truck on the dyno, we started a, a very conservative number, and we work up and we work up in small increments and we see when does power come up. When does power plateau when does egt start to come down and you know when when does that balance when is we're we're not gaining any more power our egt's are coming down um, but we've also seen the cylinder pressure traces and the yep. cylinder pressure traces show us that as we get past a certain timing number cylinder pre- peak cylinder pressure starts to come up very aggressively yep. and we're really trading that pressure element that saving the connecting rod saving the head gaskets for lowering EGTs, and it's not worth it at yeah. that point.
1: And you take injector size and, and turbocharger set up all into account for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, we do a lot of tuning that we send out, but having, uh, having the dyno in-house and spending all that time and knowing add a 60% injector with a stock or twin kit with this pump you know this is exactly where it makes peak power and and this is where it doesn't and uh yeah still time and time again you see trucks coming in here that oh yeah this guy tuned my truck and can I baseline it on the dyno before we go over it again and you run it and it's like oh no
0: <laughs> yeah log it and yeah. you just cringe as you see the timing numbers yeah. come up and i mean yeah. just last week we had a truck in here 33 degrees of timing ton of tons of fuel in it we pulled 10 degrees of timing out of it and picked up 50 horsepower I mean, yeah. it was it's yeah. crazy how that works. And he, just the cylinder, pr- I mean, we, prob- we probably pulled 1,500 PSI cylinder pressure out of that engine. Absolutely. Which on a engine that's running 4,000 PSI cylinder pressure, that's the difference between life and death. Um, rev limits, I put those in there. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how many guys have we seen come in without rev limiters in their tunes? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a difficult part of the tuning process. No. It,
1: well, and I mean, it's... It's you know we talked about it earlier too is it whether it's on the sled pull or a drag race or whether you know if something lets go in the trans and the thing goes to the moon like you got to have something there to stop it and you got to yeah. have something there to be safe because there's no reason ever for it to go there so you know don't don't ask for a 5,000 rpm rev limit because it's not going to do anything for you right
0: right I mean I love that you brought that up with the with the trans I mean you shell an input shaft going down the track. Mm-hmm and the engine immediately goes to the red line. I mean, if you have the rev limiter set there to catch it, you'll be there to replace the input shaft and come back next week. Absolutely. If you don't, you're gonna have the top end off that engine. That's no fun. Um, So let's let's jump into air fuel ratio, so smoke control. Um, And that's really two elements. That's smoke on spool up, so how smoky is the truck in general, driving it, and then smoke on the top end, which really indicates how over fueled is it correct how over do you need to be to make peak power <laughs> especially if we're shooting
1: for 700 safe or 750 safe and and we went oh well, you know along the build the right way with the bigger pump the bigger injectors and the bigger turbo it should clean up it should, it should it clean should up. Clean. yeah it should be a clean yeah. truck you might have you know on your race tune if you're rolling into it you might have a little puff to start but it should clean up you shouldn't be leaving a trail behind you uh, by any means you know once yeah. you get up to that 22, 2,500 RPM.
0: I love. It. I see that. I see the stock long block truck go down the track, smoking like crazy. Yeah. I can just imagine what the EGTs are, mm-hmm. and the the life expectancy of that engine comes down dramatically when yeah. I see that kind of stuff. Um, that oh. should all be managed, and especially on spool up too. You get those trucks where you you stand on the throttle and you get that immediate rattle, that overfueling, fueling, yeah. yep. the high timing on tip in. Um, that's just as detrimental to parts, even though you're not at full load. Uh, that's very hard on rings and and bearings and rods
1: and they're usually kind of pooches when they're doing that too you're not, yeah, getting, exactly. you're not getting a good burn and you're not getting a good takeoff so it's sitting there
0: clattering and smoking while you know someone's blowing by you so right, right. Um, TCM tuning uh, that kind of ties in with rev limits so making sure the truck is running in its desired RPM band um, you know if we have a truck that's designed to make 750 horsepower and it's got a little bit bigger turbocharger on it leaving the stock TCM tuning in it, not a smart idea, right? we got excessive lugging, got excessive EGTs at that point, the truck stays in high gear too long. So setting up the TCM, uh, a big part of what we do to improve drivability, but also improves the life of the engine. Absolutely. And uh, I'll also touch on setting wide open throttle shift points. So there seems to be a tendency in the, um, in the aftermarket to set the shift points, what I would call much higher than they need to be. Uh, again, no reason to be there high rpm high egt's top end questionable
1: yeah i always paint the picture for guys a dyno graph it's a curve that's for a, beautiful a reason thing this, you know yeah. you look at it, it it's an arch you start out lower power that's your takeoff. you end up at lower power if you're in the high rpm range you right. want to be right on the top of that that dyno graph and it it's amazing if you think about that. It makes a lot more sense than like, oh, this thing's really screaming though. It sounds good. I need RPM going on the track. Well, if you look at your dyno graph, if you've ever dynoed your truck, or if you look at a dyno graph of a similar setup, you know the truck's lost 100 horsepower at, at 42 or 4300 oh, RPM. Yeah,
0: know? yeah. I mean, oftentimes 36, 3700 RPM, yeah. it's down 100 horse already. So you need to be in that next gear. You need to get that gear change. um I like that man that's a that's a good summary of what we have control over and how it can affect keeping your build together. Yeah, As it I applies would,
1: to no man's land. <laughs> I would touch back on what we have control and what, what the customer has control over, because obviously you guys all listening out there, It's uh, we rely on you guys to spec a build and, and go out there and make the phone calls and do the research and then also maintain the truck, you know, boost leaks. We talked about that, leaving a trail of smoke and, and watching your smoke. If it's getting smokier, you know, check your air filter, boost test the truck, stuff right. like that. That's all huge because, you know, you do get calls back like, You know, I thought you guys said your tunes were clean or I thought this was going to be really safe. And then, you know, you come stuff, trucks come in with air filters that are crumpled down or they come in with almost every truck we see has a boost leak in it. Boost leak, intercooler
0: split, boot split, clamps not tight. It's so common.
1: Yeah, if you're, you're, you know, stock sled pulling or, you know, drag racing or, you know, guys are putting a lot of hooks on them or running with your buddies, you know, you should probably be boost testing your truck, you know, once a week or once every two weeks. If you're running every weekend, two, three pulls, you know, it doesn't hurt to to buy a boost tester. And when you're detailing the truck on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you know, just throw the boost tester on there and it's, you know, it could potentially save a motor. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, we have a great video on it. It's super easy. You buy a boost tester for your engine. You can literally do it in 10 minutes if you got an impact gun. Um, A a good way to catch an issue, uh, especially before it takes the engine out or before you run it for a long time with that high EGT level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Total system health. It's just I cannot stress it enough. If, if you don't feel like, like you want to take your engine in your hands for this build, please call us or call somebody who you think is competent. I mean, we've done hundreds of these things. We know what works. Um, if, if you're going to gamble on it, you know, be prepared to pay the consequences. Yeah, stack the deck and, and yeah, have exact, it in your favor, you know. Exactly. Stack the deck in your favor. I love it. All right. Well, I think that really wraps it up. Um, you should have everything you need to know about how to how to navigate no man's land at this point. Absolutely. I'm Nick. I'm Bob. Thanks for listening. Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTutor.com is the proud sponsor of the Diesel Performance Podcast. Calibrated Power develops emissions equipped tunes for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Jeep, John Deere, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out calibratedpower.com or call 815 568 7920. That's 815-568-7920. To reach out to the Diesel Performance Podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email Paul at DuramaxTuner.com or Danny at DuramaxTuner.com.
1: Well, yeah, you have so many people like, ah, no, fuck that. I've run my LB7 at 750 horse. All these pussies out there, you know, yeah, 650 horse. Well, yeah, then in a year or two, you know, they start getting the smoke and they start getting the heat. And then I love when winter comes around for those yeah, guys. Then, oh man, well, yeah, but it lasted for two years. Like, no, it just got worse over two years.